You are listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. And that, like the last, it was really like the last five pages that I went, what? Okay, actually, no, that's interesting. I may, I may want to keep reading because I was considering asking if I could not be a part of Because <laughs> 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 I just had a hard time. Welcome to The Legendarium. This is episode 226. Uh, we have been leading up for the last 220. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> that just... was a fun episode. <laughs> if you haven't checked out episode 225, our recap on Avengers Endgame, uh, then you didn't get the joke. And now you, I spoiled the joke, so it doesn't matter if you re- watch that one anyway. Or uh, you that should one. watch it. It was a fun one. It was a fun one. We are I mean, listen to it. Listen to today. It. We are the blue team. Uh, we have Megan, Craig, uh, Megan, Ken. I was going to call you Craig, Megan, Ken, and myself that are here. Blue team um, assemble. I <laughs> blue team is blue team brought to get. No, it just nah. doesn't work the same, does it? Um, but we are going to be talking about Children of Dune. We have progressed through the Dune series. We're back into Dune. Uh, I know some of you were asking yourselves, well, wait a minute, you were, you did a, you did a Dresden Files just a little while ago. Yes, we did. Uh, we're going to get through two more Dune books and then we're probably going to revisit, uh, revisit the world of Harry Dresden. But in the meantime, we need to finish off Dune because I'll tell you what, we are finally getting to the point where things get really, really kind of kooky interesting. I am, I am so looking forward to this conversation uh, but it, partly because of partly because of how fun this this particular book can be, uh, and because of how controversial sometimes this book can be, and some of the things that are going on, but also because we are we are at the point where we finally are setting the stage for the true Quizats Hatterack, which we're going to meet in God Emperor of Doom. So uh, we got a couple of episodes where we're going to be spending some time talking about Children of Doom, then we're going to launch into God Emperor of Doom. And uh, hopefully bring all of the threads together on this one and get on the golden path and see humanity rise to its fullest, uh, fullest uh, uh, approximation of itself. Oh, the humanity. Just, just in time to destroy it all. Wait, what? Oh, spoiler. <laughs> no, uh. we don't destroy it all. We don't destroy it all. At least, well, you know. Wait, so there's another Quisatch the Hatterack? Oh, boy, can we have some fun. So. Okay. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping for everybody. Yes, uh, you, you, if you're new to the podcast, maybe you're not familiar with where you can find us. You can find us on Reddit, uh, The Legendarian Podcast. You can find us on uh, Twitter. You can find us on, uh, you can get to us on email, any of our names, uh, Ken, Megan, myself, Todd. You can find us on uh, with our names at thelegendarium.com. Uh, reach out to us, engage with us. We're on a, we have a Discord channel. Uh, is it, it's the legendarium podcast.com, isn't it? Legendarium podcast.com. Yeah. Did I say the legendarium.com? Yeah. I you'll, you'll get a, a rock band in uh, Norway or something. If you <laughs> go to the legendarium.com, which is bad, by the way, not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. But they it's have to check that out. Not yeah. what you're looking for. The legendarium podcast.com. Uh, look out for us, engage with us, uh, join the troop of Todd. That's going to be your best place. Uh, but if you want to join the mob has donuts. Yeah. Megan's mom does not have donuts. We they have are all, donuts. They're all can wear virtual sweatpants. donuts. And what she's basically doing is plying you at the lowest possible levels 
join the troop of Todd, we will be going to the higher levels wow, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mean. And if you also yeah. hate time You're just travel, mad that I stole one of your people. I am mad that one of your fans. I'm, I'm mad that one of my fans said, unless I can get a better deal, I have donuts. Oh, I'll go for donuts. <laughs> and Thanks, you, Homer Simpson. We didn't need you anyway. And if I'm you just hate, kidding. If you hate time travel, you're always welcome in the Knights of Ken. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? Okay. So we've done enough. We've oh, done I'm so enough. happy there's no time travel in this book. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. So we're going to odd face. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the letter L. Or lame. Uh, for, I don't know what that sounds for. Brought to you by the letter tangent. Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. By the, by, by the letter T for Todd and tangent. Um, <laughs> so having having now wasted a full five minutes of your time, uh, why don't we get into this book a little bit? Ken, do you have a recap for us? Yes, I have a recap. There you go. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> I, I mea culpa, I read this book and I kind of left it going, uh, not really a lot happens because we, we kind of moved on to other stuff. And as I was revisiting, I'm like, not a lot happens in this book. And, and then I started to look at it again and try to craft a recap. And I was like, oh, and that happened. Oh, and this, oh, and holy crap. So much happens. Yeah. There is so much stuff. And I just, I never got around to actually re, uh, writing a recap. So I apologize, guys. And it is okay, Ken. And girls. We, we will not throw you into the death still in our I, little uh, see it here. Yeah, I feel like I've, I've done a, you know, disservice. Well, we'll forgive you. Well, you could give us a recap on the fly. What would a, what would a recap about, on the fly look like? About 25 years have passed since the events of Dune and Palm Wadib taking his spot as the Kwisatz Haderach and leading the Fremen people and the desert planet of Dune out of its barren wasteland and into its fertile wonderland that is currently Arrakis. The story follows the twin children, Leto and Ganema, the twin children of Paul and uh, Chani, and all of their fun misgivings and their see this is why we don't yeah, do it on Jessica the fly. Jessica is plotting and Aaliyah is Grandmother plotting. Grandmother Jessica comes back, Aaliyah is still plotting, twists and turns, Stilgar is uh doubting his faith and trying to figure out what's gone wrong in the generation that has been with us since Dune. And along the way chaos ensues, mayhem, plots and <laughs> I love it when he says chaos plots. ensues. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, the uh, former emperor, what's that? What is their name? The Car the Padishah emperor, the yeah. House Carino. House Carino makes a big comeback because the sister of Irulan, who we didn't know had a sister, uh, yeah. we we knew, but she, she was never we spoken about. The the sister of Irulan comes back and she wants to uh, restore House Carino to power, so she has this elaborately stupid plan to <laughs> marry her son to one of the uh, tradies, basically putting him in the uh, control of the Atreides religion, the, the the taking over the religion. In the in the meantime, the twins figure out that everything's gone wrong and everything that we've known so far is wrong. So Leto has this grand idea to find the golden path, goes along a sand, on a sandworm ride, becomes basically sandworm infused or uh, well sand trout infused yeah. becoming the first superhero on Arrakis Paul you know we saw nobody so we said he's not coming back right no he's not coming back so prophet shows up blind prophet shows up and we go that can't actually be Paul because that makes too much no spoiler anti-spoiler it actually is Paul <laughs> 
So Paul's back, Leah's back, and she's evil. Everybody's back. Everybody dies. <laughs> this is why we don't do these the, on the fly. The this is recap. Why he... No, I felt like that was pretty good, actually. <laughs> he, he got most of the key points. Ken, you did a good Sorry. job. You did a good yeah, job. Gurney you Halleck were, is back. That's great. Recap. Duncan you, Idaho Yeah, we get to see Gurney Halleck again. Duncan Idaho craziness. is still here. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be some entertaining stuff. So so many twists hope- among twists among twists. Discuss. Ken, you gave you gave uh you gave us the the recap. Megan, let me go to you first. Um so this is your first time through. This is the third book in this Dune trilogy mm-hmm. in this Dune series. Mm-hmm. How did you feel when you finished it? You finished it what? 10 minutes ago? Yeah, well, now it's been like 25 minutes. <laughs> um I felt like this book was kind of a slog. Um and that like the last it was really like the last five pages that I went, what? OK, actually, no, that's interesting. I may I may want to keep reading because I was considering asking if I could not be a part of. Because <laughs> 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 I just had a hard time. Like, I literally read 100 pages between 11 o'clock last night and now. Yeah, so I just. And that's a lot of material. And yeah. in, in this book in particular, this that is a lot of material. Yeah, it's it's very de- like it's interesting. It's very dense. But I felt like. This book felt frustrating to me because they set up a lot of things like it was going to be a big deal and then it would just like resolve itself really quickly and off, oftentimes off screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just it, it's a different kind of writing than I'm used to. So I struggled with that. OK, Ken, what were your what were your initial impressions? <sighs> my initial impressions, honestly, and this is honest, I my initial impressions were, geez, these children are annoying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, will you stop talking kids and uh, i guess that honestly is what you kind of have to expect when you have children who have literally millions of years of experience among the two of them and have lived you know several lifetimes at least in their minds and in their memories and basically know what's coming before it happens or at least can predict it or at least you know have yeah years of of predictive experience what did i i wrote down that this is basically it feels like the reader is along for the ride in this book uh because there are so many omniscient characters that know what's going on usually usually when you read a book you're kind of picking it up as the characters go so when you have the first person or the the uh the protagonist perspective you're kind of figuring things out as they're figuring things out, or you know what's coming because you get to see everybody else's perspectives and they don't, and we're inside their head. So so you can see them as they're trying to put the pieces together. These protagonists all have the answers already. Yeah. So you're just kind of like, okay, let's see where this train goes. You and know? yet so many of their plots fail spectacularly. Yes. So many of them are just dumb. Well, the whole thing with the tigers where they built it up, that it was going to be this huge thing, and then it was over in 30 minutes. And it was an important plot point. Because that's when Leto disappears. But anyway. well, and not only is it not only is it critical. Well, we'll we'll come back to the okay. we'll come back to the laser tigers. Um, that's all, what I wanted to call them too, laser tigers. That's every what they time. Call, that's what they called them in the reading, and that's what I've called They're, them every time. Laser tigers um, or laza tigers or whatever. I'm like and, laser tigers. And <laughs> I and I keep I kept wondering when the when the thing was going to pop out of their head. All uh, <laughs> uh, the the one shark the thing. Yeah, yeah sharks heads. with lasers on their heads. Ah, uh, well. Um, so to be fair, um, the, the perspective that I had when I first went through this material, uh, a couple of decades ago is, is kind of along the same lines. It, uh, when I got to the end of the, when I got to the end of the book, mm-hmm. uh, the first time through, I was like, Oh, I, I'm not sure. I've, I've invested a lot onto this one. The payoff didn't feel all that big. Right. 
Um, I, I will I will say this, Megan, for you. I hope that you don't feel the same when you get done with God Emperor of Dune because God Emperor of Dune for me was an absolute page turner the first time that I read through it. Um, so it was worth it. But, but so much that happens in God Emperor of Dune is is informed by things that are going on now in 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 the children of dune that it's sure. worth the time sure. it's worth the effort okay um I, but i but i will say this coming back to it a second time um as is as is often the case um my perspectives on it are different i do not know if that is because the writing is supremely good because the story was extremely compelling because i'm just a little bit further on or because maybe i'm i'm a different uh, I'm I'm different in enough ways that I caught things now because I was introduced to them before and now I'm ready to catch them the second time through. I, I don't know, or just a combination of all of that. But the second time through this book, I got more and I saw new, um, I saw new insights to what's going on in the story and in the way that it flows than I did the first time reading through. Um, sure. In some ways, and... Perhaps some, perhaps some people will disagree with me. Feel free to disagree with me on Reddit. Uh, in in some ways, I feel like um, like that is not that is not always necessarily a, a, a hallmark of great writing. That you have to know what the end is to go back and really appreciate some of the things that are being laid for you along the way. In other ways, I can see it as a as a mark of some really expert writing to make people mm -hmm. want to come back and revisit. So. If, uh, but I, I, I personally would rather see a little bit more given to me so that these, so that these payoffs, whatever the payoffs are going to be, are a little more clear the mm -hmm. first time through. Mm -hmm. uh, if there is a complaint that I have about uh, Frank Herbert, about reading Frank Herbert, uh, not about his writing style, but about the mm -hmm. process of reading it, it's that sometimes he is so subtle and so nuanced with things that he throws out there. That you read it, you miss it, you got to go all the way back to read it again to find out if you really caught it. Yeah. I found myself doing that again a couple of times in this mm -hmm. book. So if if you out there were feeling the same thing, uh, know that you're not alone. It sounds like all of us had a little bit of some of that same feeling as we're reading through. It's a, it's a very dialogue-driven, introspective-driven yeah. book, and there is not a lot of action, although we finally get a sandworm. I know. We had some cool sandwormy so things that, that I thought of you guys uh, when that came up. Or, uh, I just remember Ken, Ken, action. Ken being so disappointed that there wasn't like sandworm races or something like yeah. that. So I I feel like this book is if uh, if Dune Messiah was his cautionary tale of um what can happen when religion gets too out of control for lack okay. of a better term, this is the book that says, uh, be careful what you wish for in terms of changing things that you think are going to be for the better and uh, the law of unintended consequences because, I mean, Paul, he's at the expense of, you know, 50 million people or whatever, was successful in transforming Dune into Arrakis, this fertile, uh, lush planet, and now he's, he's basically... I know you would have to think he saw it coming. He's basically destroying the way of life for the galaxy because mm -hmm. in creating this this world, he's eliminating the deserts, which uh, is where which are where the sandworms live, which produce the spice, yeah. which drives the galaxy, which 
it's a it's a it, there there are a couple of themes that that run through this and and I'll I, I think we'll we'll come back and we'll talk about those themes a little bit uh, but but before we do that I want to I want to talk about some character driven pieces okay. um, and when I read this book I kind of divide it into two uh, now we we are not dividing it into two for our conversation although I think we we're scheduled to have a, a second conversation after this one's over yeah. uh, today but uh, so you know. Pay attention. If we didn't talk about everything you want to talk about, you want to hear on this one by the time we're done, don't worry. We got another one. Give yeah. us some questions on Reddit. We'll have shout, some fun. Shout it out to us. We'll uh, get it to it. But uh, this book, I really kind of divide into two halves. It's the half before when when the twins are together, mm-hmm. and the half when the twins are apart. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the half where the twins are together. Um, what what kinds of pieces of that stood out as interesting storytelling moments or interesting plot processes that you looked at and you said, eh, yeah, okay, I liked it, or wow, boy, did we waste a lot of time on that one? I honestly don't remember a lot that happened there. Uh, I think um, they they made a lot of hoopla about the Lady Jessica returning to um, to Arrakis. And Aaliyah being very, very concerned about it. And I, I thought it was very striking, their reaction to each other when they did see each other for the first time. Because I could mm-hmm. understand there being a lot of bitterness from Aaliyah's point of view. Where her mother leaves and her mother is the one person who would kind of understand what she's going through a little bit. Having all of those voices in her head and maybe could have helped guide it, her a little bit. Um, and I, I could understand Jessica having more than a little bit of guilt about that. Um and at the same time, like Jessica just looked and she's like, oh my gosh, I failed and it's too late and there's nothing I can do. So moving on. And right. um, then she has one-on-one conversations with her grandchildren who are also going through a very similar thing. Where, Which was yeah. interesting because did I don't remember, we, we saw Jessica and Ganima's uh, conversation, right? I don't seem to remember it, but I know that I remember hers and Leto's where she thought, oh, I'm going to you know, talk to these nine, 10 year old kids. And he just talks circles around her. He can, yeah. takes control of the conversation and he totally whips her around. And, you know, <laughs> and she goes, what, 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 what just happened here? But yeah. he, he sees, he sees so much already at 10 that, that she doesn't realize. Is he 10? Is he nine? They're nine or 10. Anyway, we'll, we'll, like we're just going to call him 10 just, just because, but, but even at 10 years old, we see, he sees more than, than she sees. And possibly, partly because he's been there and she hasn't. I mean, they already, he and Ganima already have been talking about how Ali is going nuts. Yeah. Right. There's, I mean, there's an interesting piece in this uh, that, that we don't really, we, we don't really hear about in the beginning uh, of Dune Messiah. Uh, but we do get a, we do get a little bit of hint. Uh, and maybe some of our readers out, uh, some of our readers or listeners out there, uh, remember specific lines or specific places where this is made clear. But these two children are different from all other children because of Paul being mm-hmm. their father, mm-hmm. and because Paul had taken the water of life and had developed the ability to be in many places at once. He w- he had all of the powers of of a male reverend mother mm-hmm. than when he and, and Chani Chaney, depending on how you want to read it. Um, I like to say Chani when they, when, when they have children, their children are born fully aware. Yes. 
like okay. Aaliyah I was. I didn't grasp that when I read it. So thank you for explaining that to me. So this is and and this is a this is an anomaly that even doesn't happen in uh, other Fremen. Even though other Fremen's lives are saturated with spice and all of these different kinds of things, it seems to be that there is something about the taking of the water of life that is what makes all of these changes happen. For Lady Jessica, yeah. taking mm-hmm. the water of life, or for mm-hmm. any Reverend Mother, puts them in touch with the generational histories, uh, the generational awareness, which gives them access to all of those people, the the genetics of all of those people that were right. that lived before. For Aaliyah, because it happened when she was in vitro, in, in the womb. In utero. In utero, excuse me, yeah. thank you. Um, it's one of those days. My my grade will go away, and I'll <laughs> get okay. the words right. I'll get it's right words. Good. We've all been um, the uh, because because for Aaliyah it happened pre birth. She becomes aware in the womb. For the twins, they talk about the fact that they became aware in the womb, but it was a gradual thing for them. A little bit differently. It wasn't an immediate thing like it was for Aaliyah. It was a it was a gradual th- uh, a little bit more of a gradual thing apparently. And by the time they are born, they are fully aware. And not only are they fully aware, they're fully aware of all of the past. Right. The separation, the, the one of the fascinating separations about these twins for me, as I was reading it through, is that they have at their disposal a living example of what happens if you handle the voices wrong. I always tease when I, and, and right. you guys have known me long enough right. that you've heard me yeah. say, that, just a minute, the voices are talking. Uh, and and okay. actually there were a few moments when I was reading through the book and I'm like, just tell people the voices are talking. They'll leave you alone. <laughs> At least they do me um, for the most part. Maybe maybe now all of you understand me a little bit differently. Uh, but, but they have in Aaliyah a perfect example of why they cannot give into letting all of these other voices deal with them. And I think I think they they do a wonderful job of talking about that. They do a wonderful job of setting it up. Mm-hmm. But the person that they can't get to understand it is Jessica, right? Which, but she still, I mean, she still comes to uh, Arrakis, kind of looking for, looking to suss out whether or not Aaliyah has gone to the dark side. You yeah. Know, or well, yeah, become, she's sent by the Bene Gesserit. Become the yeah, abomination. Yeah, right. And she's she's working again with the Bene Gesserit and she's here to see if she's become abomination, which she has and she does a pretty good job of hiding it from most of the people, but not from the twins. They know. They've been talking about it. And, and not really from Jessica. And There's... she suspects until, oh, when do we want to talk about the scene? Uh, why don't you talk about it now? All right, hold on. I got I to gotta look up the... I got to look up the question, but uh, one of the uh, one uh, of the redditors brought up a question that I thought was interesting. Uh, this is I don't know, somebody on on a different thread, but they they mentioned Ali is doing her joint audience with Lady Jessica in the throne room. Stuff hits the fan. Aaliyah's assassination attempt, which was really stupid, pl- stupidly planned. IMO fails and Jessica realizes that Aaliyah is possessed by the Baron. So that's when she realizes that that was her confirmation basically. Mm-hmm. So despite Aaliyah being pretty much openly wanting Jessica to uh, captured or dead, she and the Fremen naive managed to escape the Citadel and free uh, to Arakine or they flee Arakine, which they had a problem with how they were able to escape. That made sense to me. And, and most of it made sense except that, uh, I, I thought the same thing. I thought, well, that was a really stupidly conceived plan because the whole thing fell apart when 
when the uh, the shot was taken and Aaliyah just stands there like, I knew I wasn't in danger. Well, and they seem to pick the wrong guy to get because, you know, he, they have the Fremen guy who gets yeah. up and introduces himself and immediately starts saying the wrong things. And Aaliyah's like, what is happening? Right. Right. And it's, but the, the <laughs> we were talking about earlier, though, the thing that makes it work is that the Baron, she's she's possessed by the Baron. So it's really right. not her plan. Correct. Yeah. It's Baron Harkonnen's plan. And. So, you know, in, he, he was never the smartest guy. That guy was so was creepy. In, oh, in, he's so disgusting. But if it's his plan, he can smugly stand there like, yeah, I knew this was going to go. Oh, oops. You know, the, the Baron, the Baron is a character device. Um, one of, one of the things that's very fascinating about the world of, uh, of Dune is that it's very much the Atreides versus the Harkonnens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know even in even in the first book when we when we basically establish the fact that the Atreides have won, we still have the seed of the Harkonnens always coming back, yeah. and they always have to be they, this 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 feud between the two right. uh, keeps coming back over and over and over and over again. Um, the the fascinating thing for me about this plot. Was that um, if we take it and and I and I I can see where the the perspective is you know how how is it that they can get out of a uh, out of a a room that is crowded full of people and they do it with with very little effort and they get away from people um, my my interpretation of that particular moment was that really what we're dealing with is a, a group of individuals the 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 palace guards that are supposed to be there they're not Aaliyah's chosen Amazon guards they're they're the guards that have been selected as part of the priesthood, as part mm-hmm. of the as part of the religion of Muad'Dib. So here they have two of their religious icons that are at war with each other. How mm-hmm. do they resolve that? And so when you've got right. when when you assign somebody to go arrest their god, uh, or arrest the mother of their god, you have all kinds of levels of hesitation yeah. that Jessica doesn't have. And so from my standpoint, uh, I. Now, whether or not that's intimated, I think they. I think there's a scene where Jessica has a conversation with the with the leader of the of the guard that was supposed that was responsible for catching Jessica, and he said, "What was the problem?" And he said, "Well, I think maybe my guys weren't doing as well as they could." She said, "Well, that's never going to happen again because you're going to make sure of it, aren't you?" And he says, "Yes, I am." And then, <laughs> and then she finds herself a new lover, toy boy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this is the Baron. He's not trying to destroy Jessica. He's trying to destroy House Atreides. Right. And so if he catches Jessica, that's fine. If he discredits Aaliyah and destroys House Atreides' hold on all of the universe, that's fine. If the universe burns to the ground, but the Atreides are gone with him for Baron Harkonnen, that's fine. Fine. The ends justify the means, and and in here, this this comes this comes really interesting. Again, if we look at the period of time that this book was being written in, it's in the seventies. We're mm-hmm. talking about we're talking about a period of time that was dominated by the Cold War, mm-hmm. when both sides were dealing with things like mutually assured destruction as a deterrent right. from significant conflict. And we look at the commentary that is when you are so consumed about eliminating your opponent that you are willing to destroy everything else. There's a problem, yes. and I think it's a beautiful it's it's a beautiful metaphor. I don't know if Frank Herbert intended it that way, but I certainly see it as I go back and reread 
and look at these things and look at the way that they play together. Yeah. So while our Redditor is right from a plot standpoint, this looks kind of weak. But from my standpoint, as I read a little bit more into it, I'm saying to myself, this makes perfect sense. And it's also, a, a, again, a really good cautionary tale. Yeah. Sure. I Did anybody else have a problem with, with the use of the Baron Harkonnen I mean, not just I just taking such a big role in I I don't know. I it, on the one side I'm conflicted about it. On the one side it makes sense because her voices are there and and this is something that all of the prescient people have to deal with is is learning how to shut out the voices, learning how which voices to tune into and for how long and when to assume control and and shut them all out and and so Aaliyah doesn't get any training in that. And so the Baron obviously, yeah. you know, has, has a really easy way to get in there. But I just, I feel like, I don't know. I, I've, for lack of a better term, I want to call it a cop out that, Oh, the Baron's the bad guy again, but really, you know, it was Aaliyah. This is, this I, is, I don't know. I, this is very much part of, of Frank Herbert's world, uh, that, that the Baron Harkonnen, uh, Baron Harkonnen and Paul Atreides are the pinnacles of, their two house lines. Mm -hmm. And um, because of that, I, I, again, and, and, and this is, this is one of those places where, uh, again, coming back and reading it, having read the end of the series, having read more of the, of the, of the Herbert stuff uh, of the stuff of the, of the Herbert world building that mm -hmm. goes on. Mm -hmm. um, we're getting a glimpse uh, in, in the way that the Baron is used here at at just how much Paul is trying to, or just how much Frank Herbert is is communicating to us, how things go, how things just really go wrong if your focus is the destruction of an enemy rather than the encouraging of growth, um, and and those two those two mindsets, the Atreides mindset was always on let's do the best that we can for our people, uh, or at least boil down to its to to a simple to a simple good good versus evil, mm -hmm. where the Baron Harkonnen was, do everything you can to stop the Atreides. Absolute power. And those two, um, it's not even, it may have been absolute power for the Baron wanting yeah. to be the, wanting to be in control of everything. But now the Baron's consciousness, such as it is, that lives in Aaliyah is all about destruction just of the wants, Atreides. Yep, just wants revenge. Because it, because it knows that it cannot, um, except through, now here's another thing that's kind of interesting. Uh, it also reveals to uh, all of the prescient members of this group that they carry Har Harkonnen blood. Oh, yeah, that right. they carry them both. They're both Atreides and Harkonnen, mm -hmm. right? Uh, which is something that the Sisterhood was hoping to achieve by combining the two houses, right? By bringing uh, Leto and Jessica together. And instead, they've done it in a different way that they weren't anticipating. So that throw that frustrates the the Bene Gesserit's plan. Speaking of the Bene Gesserit, what do you think of uh, Leto's? Uh, take on the Bene Gesserit plan. Can I point this out really quick? Sure. Just because, yeah. just because I'm slow. This is the last thing on it, but it, it was Aaliyah that killed the Baron. Yes. So now it's the Baron that killed Oh, I forgot about Aaliyah. that. Aaliyah. And yes. I I thought I was the only one who just came up with that. You no, know, but... well, and it's interesting that the Baron really, like he doesn't get any gain out of taking over. It's not like he can be like, and I'm the Baron and I'm in charge no, I'm now. In because charge. everybody yes. will say that she's crazy and they'll kill her because that's a Freeman way. But let's but let's be honest. He does get to have a little bit more time with his favorite boys. <sighs> yeah. Baron the Baron was driven by sensuality. Yeah. Um and and that <laughs> that piece 
Um, if it had been anyone other than Aaliyah, probably would have given rise to more awareness that things were going wrong. I know, so. and it, but it's just, it's so sad to see her um, interacting with Duncan Idaho and his realization that she is no longer his Aaliyah and yeah. he can't be there to watch it. So, and he just needs to go. So before we talk then about Leto and his interpretation of the Bene Gesserit plan, do you want to talk about Duncan Idaho really quick? Well, since sure. it's attached to Lita or to Aaliyah, I guess we probably should. But... Let's talk about let's let's talk about Duncan. What would... that guy? He he's just in everything throughout this entire series, isn't he? Well, he. What are you, you asking me, Ken? Are you staying something, or are you asking something? Oh well, if, if... you just like that, he's there. Well, I, I like Duncan Idaho, of course, but I I will say if I had actually written a recap with my questions and everything, one of my questions would have been. Just like after Dune, just because Duncan's dead, is he really dead? Because <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. Can they revive him he's, again? He's already died and revived once. Why can't he do it again? So that's my prediction is Duncan continues on in this series, even though he's dead. That's an interesting prediction. Hmm. So I would sorry. like that to be true. I don't um, see it being true, but I would like it to be true. No. Yeah, I why, do we, why do we resonate with Duncan? Why do we resonate with him? Why did you guys resonate with him? I think because for me, it's because Duncan really cares about these people as people. He's not necessarily looking for political gain. He's not thinking, oh, if I'm with these people, then I will get to be the leader of this group and have a fancy house on this dune over here. Um, he really just wants to take care of the Atreides. He loved yeah. Paul. He was one of Paul's teachers and tutors and... um protected Paul until he died the first time and he came back and again he was um you know one of Paul's advisors and a person that you know Paul trusted and that he trusted Paul or was like trying to help him to be a good person and you know marries Aaliyah partly and it was interesting that Jessica made a comment where she's like did you marry Aaliyah because she looked like me and he was like yeah <laughs> um but he you know, he really loved Leah and he cared about Aaliyah. And, you know, when she starts going crazy, he can't watch that. And then takes Lady Jessica to a place where he feels like he's like, well, I have to make this look real. And also she'll be safer out here. So he takes her to Secundus, Seleucus Secundus. Um, and like with the, I think he just, uh, and that's something that I really appreciate that he's one of those people that isn't like he has a political mindset, but he isn't necessarily just looking for political gain. He's, he's looking for what is the best way to protect these people. Right. He's politically aware, but he's not politically motivated. Right. That's exactly. That's my favorite. There's, there's something, there's something about him that, that resonates in me about the, the simplistic loyalty yeah. of, of somebody like Duncan Idaho. Exactly what I was going to say. He's not politically motivated. He's, he's motivated by these are good people. These are now whenever you know he associated with them these are now my people i will take care of them because because we're connected we're yeah. attached and it's really as simple as that and it's not it's not simple to execute but it's simple in its nature that these are my people i am loyal to them i will do right by them because they do right by me and that's really all that matters and so he can he can act in a political atmosphere like for example when he when he kidnaps Jessica, yeah, you know, for Aaliyah, but really what he's doing is he's rescuing her and setting all these other plans in motion. He's doing it for the benefit of House Atreides. Mm -hmm. He's doing it for the benefit of Jessica. He's doing it because Aaliyah is wildly out of control and he knows it. Yeah. And 
And because he doesn't want all of the Atreides to be on the same planet anymore. Right. And I think there's just something I, I resonate to characters that are that are simple in their execution, but their plans are big. One of the things know. that I that I've always liked about Duncan is that he feels driven by uh, integrity rather than by expediency. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about his it is about it, it. It's so much feels that it is about his loyalty. In fact, it, it, and it informs very well the scene on Seleucus Secundus when he has made the decision that he has to leave the employ of the Atreides. He has to leave Jessica and he has to go and be a Fremen because he can no longer support what she is doing because he feels like it's a betrayal of the Atreides. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though she's an Atreides, he's he's got these... These, this dueling going on within the house and he cannot be he cannot continue to be in the service but is she an Atreides? like she she was a consort to an Atreides and her children are but she is half Harkonnen and so that's another yeah part but of, she, she part always of his struggle herself. part yeah. of his struggle and part of why it was so hard for him to say I have I can no longer be in your service um, for me if there was oh my gosh um, if there was a, if there was a, a heartbreaking moment, <laughs> you said you weren't going to, I said to. I wasn't going to be emotional during this episode, but, but for, but if there was a heartbreaking moment in this episode or in this, in this book, it was that moment where he says, I must, I am no longer able to be in your service, my lady. Um, what a, what a, what a, a, a an interesting, uh, an interesting idea and then that what he does with that is he goes and he finds Stilgar. Yep. Yeah. And that's. And winds up getting killed. Well. He's not getting he, killed. No, no, no. He he definitely <laughs> plans that. He doesn't. Oh, he does. he doesn't motivated, get killed. The only way to save House Atreides is to get rid of Aaliyah. Boy, so let's do this. And we haven't, we haven't even touched on Stilgar yet, which I want to, but not he, necessarily right now. If we don't I, have to. The reason that I use the phrase and winds up getting killed is because of a of a moment in the book where he said where where Frank Herbert gives Duncan Idaho a moment of reflection as he dies and he says and it seems like this death was about as pointless as my last death in the house in the, <laughs> in right. the service of these damn Atreides. That's right. Yeah. Um what a what a wonderful opportunity uh and and again I don't know if it's I don't know if it's intended to be a, a bigger piece for Frank Herbert but what a wonderful description sometimes of of Unfortunately, what happens to those of us who are more I, who are more ideologically driven than expediency driven? Mm-hmm. We have a tendency. Some of us who are very committed to our ideologies have a tendency to get to get crushed by the by the sheer practicality and expediency of the things that have to be done. Yeah, and he, and he did need to do it because Stilgar was totally just like he was. Austria. Still, he wasn't, or he was Switzerland. He wasn't going to do anything. Poor Stilgar. Just going to hang out. He needed to be, he that, needed to be pushed. Yeah. He Another did. individual driven by integrity, but, and, and not necessarily with, but, but in his case, not necessarily a long-term vision of what was going on, but complete integrity to the promises that he made. And so the only way he can act is if somebody forces his hand, mm-hmm. what a truly Fremen thing to do. Mm-hmm. Right. Kind of fascinating. Uh, there's, there's so much more to say about Stilgar. Do we want to get back to your point though? Your The Lido? Yeah, Lido with uh, I don't even remember what the point was. So, no. so let's go back to let's go back to Lido's conversation with uh, and and he starts it with the Lady Jessica, but he 
finishes it later with the Lady Jessica and with Irulan and with Ganima talking about the uh, about his taking over of the Bene Gesserit plan. Do you oh, remember that the uh, the um, the breeding the breeding program the breeding program where he points out that the Bene Gesserit have also changed and like just assumed that they never would, and so they need to adjust the plan a little bit. Yeah, plan is so weird. It's interesting. Oh well, yeah, it is. But the Bene Gesserit are weird. But you know they've had years of being in power. So, but I what do you what do you? I'm not sure what you're asking. I mean. Other than he takes it over and like, I get that because he's now well, you know, set himself up to be the God Emperor. But and I, I find it disturbing, um, frankly, that he is like because he has that whole conversation with oh, Todd's bouncing up <laughs> Todd's, and down on his little chair. So cute. <laughs> Todd's like the whole he's like a whole range of emotions. Well, he know? has a conversation with Ganima where she's like, um, I'm not going to bear your children. And again, yeah, they're uh, nine um, yeah, the whole, the whole, they have this gonna, whole thing. They're like, I'm yeah, they want to bring you. And that, that, that idea was introduced in Dune Messiah, where you people were talking about Paul and Aaliyah. Um, right. And then, like, Ooh, yeah, so it got to the end where um, Lido says, yeah, she's going to marry me, but you guys are going to have all the kids because I can't have kids because I'm Sand Trout Man. And uh, <laughs> Sand Trout Man. Sand Trout. We're going to come Trout back to that kid, later. I'd like Sand Trout Wonder. I'd like to see the costume that goes with Sand Trout Man. <laughs> I don't want to see that. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, not, so now I'm thinking about it. So Lost many, my train of thought. Wow, so many um, bad implications. <laughs> but I just found it like just profoundly disturbing. Um, I mean, I was glad that they weren't planning on breeding together. Uh, and at the same, like, I can understand Faradin being a, more than a little bit put out by this whole thing. It was like, well, I'm being cast aside, but also I'm important, but also I'm the silent partner, apparently. Which I think he kind of liked because. Well, he, now he gets to, he gets to do what he wants because he didn't want to be the emperor. He didn't want to be the leader. No, that, he's a pencil pusher. He's in. He uh, wants he, to be. He gets to be the historian. It's he's the he's the nerd. He's like, well, I don't want to be the leader. I just like Irulan. Yeah. yeah. He becomes the he becomes the scribe and the historian. Well, no, it's the opposite of Irulan because well, Irulan was married to the emperor, but was not the mother of his children. Whereas Faradin will not be married to Ganima, but he will be the father of hers. Yep. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. But I, I was I was thinking Poor more. House Carino. I was <laughs> thinking more along the lines of the fact that they both become these shadow individuals who are responsible for documenting. And transcribing oh, sure. everything that these individuals that they're living in their shadow are doing mm -hmm. without True. ever being able to enjoy the being part of it. Yeah. The, <sighs> kind of fascinating. Talk about it. Talk about a harsh punishment for House Carino. They, lo they lose twice. Yeah. It's in this battle. And both times being outmaneuvered by an Atreides child. Yeah. Because Paul right. was Paul was not much older than 18 when he outmaneuvered them all. Leto is 9, nine 10, 10, maybe 11, yeah. depending on how long it's taken. I can't remember how many months had gone by since he became Soundtrap Man and started destroying all of the all of the uh all of the the build up that had been done to try and transform I know how we're not, I'm not calling him Sandra <laughs> uh, had destroyed all of the canots and everything else that was that was trying to transform Dune trying to slow down the transformation. Right. So, but it, but it's has been some time. It has been some time that yeah. has passed. Yeah. Okay, that's good. 
wasn't um, wasn't the uh, I want to go back to the Ben Jesuit uh, breeding program. Wasn't that the um, the uh, impetus for Jessica coming in the first place? She said she was coming, what to check on her kids or or whatever. But really, she was coming in. And she thought to on behalf of the Bene Gesserit and the breeding program and all that. But really, they were leading Jessica on again too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's there's certainly a I, this is this is very much the if if the first novel was a was a science fiction epic, uh, and the second one was about unintended consequences of having tremendous power and, and foreknowledge. This one is certainly, um, a, a heavy, heavy, heavy dose of political theory. Right. Um, and it's, and, and it's, uh, this, this idea that the Bene Gesserit have that they can somehow control people, uh, control the outcomes of civilization by controlling the right people at the right time in the right way, uh, is something that really backfires on them in this case. Right. Because Jessica, goes to do one thing finds out that she really is neat being used to do something else mm-hmm. and then decides to use that to the advantage of house Atreides right. um, and, and sets something and sets in, in fact a different piece in motion that she had no idea was going actually going to happen. So how, how is Leto going to shift that? He doesn't really go into deep. Are you mostly just talking about him? So the, the being the ultimate, is he the ultimate human being? Is everybody going to become soundtrack people? So here's the here's the thing that I found because he's going to live for four. I'm not going to ring. I'm not going to relieve re- reveal that at this okay, point yeah. in time. But I am going to say it this way: um, Leto's Leto becomes uh, what the what the Bene Gesserit breeding program was all about: the Kwisatz Haderach, right. the individual who can be in many places at once, who can see the future and select the best path. For humanity. I do actually want you to tell me if he can fly through space. For civilization. Okay. And and in doing so, he's the only he's the first person that will live long enough to truly control the breeding program, to truly manipulate everything uh. individually. Oh dear. The Isn't... way that the way that the Bene Gesserit did it in the past was by taking the water of life and giving the giving the Reverend Mothers access to all of the memories, all of the genetic memories of every reverend mother that ever came before. But the way that, and keep in mind, this is just the reverend mothers and whatever their genealogical lines were. Okay. Right. Right. Um, So Leto comes along. He now has um, not only all of those memories for his genealogical lines, not necessarily all the reverend mothers, but all of his genealogical lines, including Agamemnon, which I find very interesting. Oh, by right. the way, if any of our, by the way, didn't we have a book that we were going to do something with? Maybe we'll come back to that. Um, I just had a, I just had a thought of something that we'll maybe deal with. Later. I can't remember, but uh, we'll talk about it later. All right. Um, stay tuned. Um, but he, he has access to all of those memories. He can remember things that were done as though he had done them before and so now he can also present project himself in the future. So we're talking about an individual who will have an effective lifespan of tens, if not hundreds of thousands of years. The first individual who can see all of the branches of humanity in our genetics and who could then say, 
and this line is needed and this line is not, and this line is needed and this line is not, and this is what we need for humanity to be best prepared to survive. Didn't he say after he took, after after he merged with the sand trout, didn't he, he say something along the lines of, uh, these are the changes needed for humanity and it'll take 25,000 years or whatever time he said basically the change will come but it'll come slowly which i think is different than what the Bene Gesserit have always been about they've been about we're going to make the change and we're going to make it now well the other thing that the other thing that's interesting is that the Bene Gesserit were always trying to breed a quizat's hatterack they could control mm. yeah and he <laughs> becomes the quizat's hatterack but is beyond their control outside of their control and takes over their breeding program to make sure that humanity is best benefited, not to make sure that the Bene Gesserit are best controlling humanity, right. but that humanity is best benefited. These kinds of subtleties in direction and distinction played out eons down the road, millennia right. down the road, are what make the next book, God Emperor of Dune, so interesting. And one of the and, and a book that by the time I got done reading Children of Dune, I was like, Okay, that was really hard, but I, yeah. I kind of think I want to know what happens next. Right. So, in fact, if I remember correctly, as as hard as it was, by the time I got to the last page, yeah, it was a it was a payoff that was like, wow, this is so much brain power. This is so like like we had talked about. Yeah. But that night, I actually went downstairs because I already owned it. I went downstairs. Yeah. I got my copy of God Emperor of Dune, and I started reading the very next. Well, the, and and I'll say that like the, having like a twist on like the last page or the second last is something that Brandon Sanderson does all the time. That I'm like. You were wrapping it up and all of a sudden you took it in a really interesting direction that I didn't expect. And now yes. I need to know what happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So that's good. One in my other, opinion. One of the other things that I one of the other things that I think is interesting about um well and, and maybe we can maybe we can shift just a little bit away from Lido for a second. Um what did you think about the change in the storytelling with Ganima falling under that hypnotic trance where she knew her brother was dead and oh yeah the the outcomes did you guys have any thoughts about that did that strike you as interesting or was that one of those things that you were like oh interesting plot device move on i i found it i don't know interesting but ultimately yeah maybe as a plot device only in the sense that it it made sense if she didn't believe herself that her brother was dead she had to know it because they would find out what she knows mm -hmm. you know there so if she had gone on and said oh he's totally dead yeah i saw the laser tigers get him you know even just saying things they would have been like no you're lying we can tell but she had to know that what she was saying was true and so it, it, it's an interesting device to be able to basically self-hypnotize okay. to convince well, yourself which it's not out of the realm of, of something that can happen now to really you know convince yourself of something gaslight yourself basically okay well and also to learn to break down those barriers when you need to yeah you have people who build up those barriers they have horrible things happen to them as children and have to break down those barriers later to be able to function as i don't know i don't know um i i actually thought that that was pretty interesting i didn't notice that that's what was happening like the um, in hypnotizing her in that way, it was helping to protect her from all of the voices. I didn't realize it until they brought it up at the end where they said, like, that's one of those things you were talking about where they brought it up at the end. And I went, oh, that's really cool. Because she, because they said, you know, now we know that there are two ways where you can overcome this, either by becoming a superhero 
<laughs> or by, you know, by, by like this hypnosis where you train your brain to believe something. And I mean, I, and I don't know if it has to be something like that or it have, if it has to be something that the person just feels very strongly about or, you know, because they there were a lot of conversations about, well, do you know who you are, Lido? Like you have all these people in your brain, but who are you? Yeah. Um, right. And so that I mean that I just thought that that was a really interesting way of looking at things where it's like, oh, this is a way of healing. One of the things that was interesting, and I don't remember, I, I wish I could pull up the page number on it. I apologize. Uh, I'm, I, I don't have the page, I don't have the page number in front of me, but I remember the part of the conversation where Lady Jessica comes to the conclusion about what could have been done for Aaliyah and why. And it was, it was uh, tantamount to saying, oh, this is why children can't absorb this because children haven't identified their own sense of self to begin with. Mm -hmm. And when they are exposed to all of these voices, knowing which, knowing how to say, no, you are not myself is not in their capabilities at that time, which is why Aaliyah falls prey to it because she never had a situation that required the blocking of all of those voices, mm -hmm. which Chani does for, or Chani does for, uh, Ganima. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, Ganima develops a sense of self that can mm -hmm. withstand all of the voices. Fascinating insight that I think sometimes we, uh, let me rephrase what I was about to say. Um, I think within our modern, within our modern society, um, we are starting to recognize, uh, the individuals are starting to recognize as they talk about the influence of social media and all of those kinds of bombarding of information, whether it's from television or social media or the internet or all of these different directions at how damaging that uh, tends to be to children mm -hmm. in helping them form their own opinions, their ability to form their own opinions and their, their own sense of self. I am not, uh, please, if anybody out there is, is now thinking that you need to send me a scathing uh, a scathing post on Reddit about the fact that I am speaking out against social social uh, media, and I'm <laughs> and I'm trying to do podcast. all of that. That's not what <laughs> right. I'm saying. What I'm what I'm saying, is, and nor am I saying we should block our children from having access to social well, no, media until they're always, eighteen. There's always going to be some form of that where you have your parents saying one thing and your teachers are saying another thing mm -hmm. and your peers are saying a third thing. Like, but you want to be as cool as your older brother. It is it yeah. is in the developing of an individual sense of self. That we that we become able to integrate what other people say mm -hmm. and become better people ourselves, mm -hmm. and so you know, in in many ways, uh, it is it is about being more thoughtful, perhaps about the way that we absorb all of those things, about the way that you listen to podcasts, and whether or not you agree with Megan, Ken, and myself. Uh, those <laughs> same mom. kinds of things. Whatever <laughs> they don't have donuts. Um, we you got we have just you a few minutes left. Groups. We have just a few minutes left. There's go ahead, Ken. I, I was going to say it, it's one of the things that makes me feel bad for Aaliyah. Yeah. In this, yeah. It, I, yeah. It, it goes from, oh, Aaliyah is the bad guy. She wants power to, I, for her entire, the entirety of her life, I feel it, it's just, it's a hard life that she has come from, from knowing in utero everything to having to grow up with that to having to grow up with that alone, basically not having any guidance, not having a direction. Um, and Paul didn't know how to give her any and, help, and Paul didn't because, know how to help her. because Paul already had a sense of self. So he didn't have to fall victim to all of the voices. Right. Well, and, and so I just, 
to uh, you know to, to to being compelled by by her grandfather and and all of this. It just you really do you feel badly for the way that her life ends. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Without, well, especially because she is abandoned by every single person that she loves and who had loved her. Sure, and without absolving her the the choices that she made. I mean. It's not like she was under compulsion. She was just, these are the voices that she was given. She's acting, you know, as, as best she yeah. can with as little direction as she could possibly have had. There's a, so. there's, there's a lot to be, there's a lot to be explored about the humanity uh, involved or the lack of humanity involved mm -hmm. in the, in the raising of Aaliyah uh, and maybe some insights that that could give us. Well, maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that another time. Speaking of Paul there, you kind of feel bad for him. Uh, at the end of this book, too. Boy, do I want to talk about the prophet now that we how cool that bridge that, like, and we've only got a few minutes left. And there's this moment where I was like, "Oh my gosh, they both they both die like on the same day within moments of each other." And Lady Jessica is there. Yeah, which is it's, very sad. I just wanted to call that out because I thought that there's that, there's like more all to... of a sudden like that generation of House of Trades is done onto the twins. Yeah, and it the twins. I just. I, I really, should, let's talk about, I, can we, should we talk about what, what is coming up or what we think is coming up because we don't have much time left? I don't, I don't want to, there's so much more to talk about still. There's, I want to talk about the prophet. I want to talk about Stilgar. I want to talk about. There was a, there was a question that was raised by one of our editors. It was, it was sent an email um, and he was talking about the idea that, that it seems like Paul is a failed Messiah because he, uh, he is in, he is uh, unable to lead his people to a place of peace. Uh, and that he leaves right at the moment when they need him the most, mm -hmm. and he right. abdicates everything. Um, and and it's a it's a fascinating conversation about what it is to be what it means to be a leader, and in and especially what it what it means to be the Quizette's Hatterack. Um, Paul and Leto have a have an and it, their their conversation is fairly interesting. Um, and especially when you consider that Paul, by the time this conversation is being had, is somewhere between 40 and 50, mm -hmm. uh, and Leto, or I guess maybe not quite that old, but he's, he's older. He's a, he's an adult and he's been experienced and he's, he's lived the Fremen life and he's been the Muad'Dib, uh, and he is, he has commanded legions to slaughter entire planets in his name. Right. And Leto comes along and says, you are a wuss. Mm -hmm. You had every opportunity mm -hmm. to set humanity on its path where things would go right. And you were too squeamish to do what had to be done. Yep. That's the thing is he, he keeps, he, I think Paul was afraid to do what needed to be. Basically, he was afraid to become a worm. There were two things that Paul was afraid of. The first one was losing his humanity. Right. Um, and, and we get a, we get a glimpse and I think it was because of Cheney. I think it was because Paul. Boy, I said I wasn't going to get emotional. <laughs> um, Paul's connection to Paul's Paul's relationship with Cheney was his connection to humanity. Yeah. And he and and even after Cheney is gone, Paul's connection to Cheney keeps him human, uh, at least in my opinion. Leto doesn't have that. Right. His connection to humanity is his sister, and he's going to give his sister to somebody else. Leto's connection to humanity is not about being human. It's about controlling the development of humanity through the future. Now, catch this, though. This yeah. is the piece that, for me, I went, whoa, that's kind of sick. It was when, when Leto says, 
you were too squeamish to do what needed to be done. I don't believe it was just about becoming Santrout Man. <laughs> that was a direct quote from the book, right? I think it was I think it was also about Paul becoming aware of what that would require him to do to the rest of humanity mm. and at the right. number of lives that would be on his conscience. Now think about this. He brought in the jihad to give peace. Billions of lives. Sterilization of 500 worlds or whatever it was. Something. Yeah. I that we talked about, and yet Leto is saying, and you were too squeamish to do what needed to be done. This is a, this, this for me, this is where I'm getting, to, because for me, again, so much that you wade through, political theory, philosophical thought, um, what does it mean to be, what, is it, what does it mean to be in the moment? What does it mean to be growing up? What does it mean to be having your own thoughts? What does it mean to have all of these kinds of things? And then we get to the last like 100 pages or so, and there are some real stingers that make that made me go, oh my gosh, this was so hard to get through. Mm -hmm. <sighs> Pick up the book, go to the next one. God Emperor of Dune has has a lot more for us. I did want to ask. I want to conclude on one question up to okay. this point in time. Um, Dune, Dune, the Dune series, Dune, Dune Messiah, Children of Dune, God Emperor of Dune, all the rest of them. All of these books are heralded as huge. Um, huge uh, landmark pieces of modern science fiction. Do you buy it? Do you really consider this to be science fiction in the way that we think about science fiction? Or have we changed in the way that we see science fiction from the way that they did back in the 1970s? It's interesting to say that back in the 1970s, but you know, it's almost 50 years ago now. I still call it science fiction. Uh, maybe because looking at it from, from the lens of when it was, produced okay i mean i yeah it probably has changed based on it, it's definitely different for example from pierce brown's red rising trilogy yes it's it's a world different than that and that's modern science fiction yeah. but yeah i would still call it science fiction okay yeah there were there were several moments in there can't give you anything specific right now but there are several moments in there where i sat there and thought yeah no this this is science fictiony good this yeah for me, the, the and those of us that those those that have been listening for for a little while have heard me saying a lot of times the science has to drive the fiction. Mm -hmm. um, oh, it does. In 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 this case, for me, the science that we feel like that I feel that it feels like we're being that we're dealing with is the science of genetics. Mm -hmm. It's what happens when you. It's what it's what happens when you decide that there are there are right decisions to be made about the evolution of mankind. Now, whether that gets into eugenics, whether that gets into racial biases and bigotry and all of those kinds of things, whether this is a statement against or for uh, the, the, the establishment of some of those kinds of things remains to be seen as far as Frank Herbert is unfolding it. But for me, at least, the, the science that is driving this is the science of the evolution of humanity and of what happens when we are looking at not decades, not centuries, but millennia of time right. in the evolution of society and civilization. What, what does that look like and how does that drive different kinds of storytelling? I think, I think you guys are going to find, I, and I know I'm seeding some stuff for God Emperor of Doom. We've still got one more 
conversation that we want to have about Children of Dune. Because there are still some really interesting things that I want to talk with you guys about uh, around, especially... Uh, spending significant time around Sand Trout, man. We'll we'll have some fun with that. And we still haven't Yay! talked about Stilgar enough. We haven't talked about Stilgar. We haven't talked about Fremen, and we and we have not talked about Gurney Halleck, um, and and where all of this leaves some of our other favorite characters. Yep. But hopefully, oh, yeah. you guys will come back to us and join us for our next one. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Todd Wenty. This has been the Blue Team, consisting of me, Megan, and Ken. Um, hopefully you've been having a wonderful time with us on this one. We'll see you next time on The Legendary. Legendary.